Hi Out of Tuners, I'm Erin. I'm Victoria. I'm Hebeka. And this is Out of Tune. Uh, welcome to our seventh episode. We may sound a little different this episode, and that's because we're recording from Zoom today. Uh, we have a really special guest with us, uh, composer Tansy Davies. Hi. <laughs> um, yes, <laughs> we're, we're so thankful that you're here with us today. Um, this is a really incredible opportunity. Um, yeah. Well, it's really lovely for me to be to be invited. It looks like a, a fantastic uh, series that you started up. So uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just to begin, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah. So my name is Tansy Davies. I'm a composer. Um, I compose all kinds of music. Um, uh, loosely comes under the term of contemporary classical genre but influences are from basically anything I hear and I listen to a huge amount of music. Um, you know, um, it's, it's so wide ranging. It would, be, it would be difficult to try and pinpoint things now, but I'm sure things will come up as, as we start to, to talk. Um, so in terms of the people that play my music, I'm very lucky. I've had two operas um, put on, uh, produced uh, by English National Opera, one of them, and the other one by the Royal Opera House with the London Sinfonietta. Um, I've also been played by the New York Philharmonic and um, various orchestras in the UK, <clears throat> um, LSO, for example. And one of my favorite things, especially at the moment uh, during lockdown times, is um, having wonderful dialogues with, with really dear friends who are musicians who are doing solo things of mine and making really cool videos and so on. So really important aspect of my practice is, is, is um, having a dialogue with performers. Um, and that's something I love. Obviously you can't do that with, you know, a big orchestra, but um, normally there are a few people in the orchestra I know. And um, <clears throat> it's just so much fun to, to get to know the performers a bit for me. Especially, especially singers as well, things like that. You know, you really, you really, I, I begin to just try and kind of get their essence into the music, and that's something I love to do. Wow, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I'm just like I'm just like listening. I'm like, wow, this is really exciting for us to have you on. Um, our podcast discovered you uh, last week, actually, uh, when we were planning. Um, for our episode since it was Halloween and we were challenging ourselves to find classical music in the Halloween realm that wasn't written by the standard male composer. Um, and so we we discovered uh, Oven in the Underworld and we were wondering if you could just share a little bit about that composition and um, but also maybe after that talk about influences and inspiration. I know you just mentioned a couple of things but for your other compositions how do you how do you go about doing that <laughs> well you know i should have done my homework because uh, that piece oven in the underworld was written a long time ago yeah. and uh, i have something called composer's amnesia so i sometimes forget things <laughs> forget what's inspired pieces but um i think it's absolutely brilliant that you um you you happened upon that piece in in a kind of in, in while you were looking for something in in a Halloween kind of mode because it's mm -hmm. definitely that yeah. and I kind of want to ask you how you found it and then I'll, I'll try and talk a bit about it yeah so I found it I think I just went on Spotify or maybe I did a Google search I I am having him amnesia as well but um I think I I did a Google search of just Halloween current like contemporary Halloween music and then a Spotify or Spotify playlist by Naxus popped okay. up and you really? were one of the one of the pieces on there and I was like looking at the composer's names trying to be like okay <laughs> who's not a male person <laughs> um, yeah so that's kind of how we happened upon it and then I sent a link to to Aaron and Hebeka and we were yeah. like wow this is so cool <laughs> I I love the fact that it that it's somewhere on a Halloween list because I haven't thought of it as that and of course it's perfect for that um well you might know more about it than me because I haven't read the program note for a very long time but um the story itself is um a, I think it's a 
a, a myth that comes from a myth which is based on a, a very um, a kind of a kind of non-erudite book I had years ago about um, Pacific mythology and stories from the Pacific. And um, I was very taken by this this story, um, which maybe it was actually in, 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 in poem form already, um, about um, a, a woman and her daughter, and she goes down into the underworld every day to cook something for her daughter. And I just thought, wow. I, loved, I just loved the idea of, of, of um, that connection with the deep earth. Mm. And, um, you know, also that kind of, that resonance, that idea that about um, kind of, you know, the deep feminine, the womb of the earth and things like that. And also the, the poem is really cute and comical. Yeah. And uh, I was writing the piece for a children's choir, the New London Children's Choir. Okay. So I thought it was very touching about <laughs> this, this wonderful, strange woman who, you know, she just does her thing. She doesn't care what anyone thinks. She just goes and cooks beautiful food, you know, in, in, close to the fires of hell. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. I thought was great. And uh, I think the last line is she's cooking for her daughter, my little girl with green hair. Mm. Wow. I, <laughs> that's really fast. I, I think also we couldn't find a program note, actually. Oh, okay. So we we were making our own kind of um, interpretations of you know maybe this is in hell like obviously the underworld and yeah so I'm I really love I love that story I I, I want to look into it more because um, then could you also speak I know you you mentioned earlier but could you speak just a little bit on um, your you know main influences and inspiration but maybe also mm -hmm. your compositional process of of how that all works for you it doesn't have to be too in depth I know but um yeah well actually you know you know connecting with with that idea uh, of the story and the, the the mother going into the underworld um obviously that's a story of transformation and she's um she's taking something terrifying which is the fires of hell and turning it into something beautiful and um getting it to her daughter so you know I think transformation is a really important thing about everything I do because I've, I've not been afraid to to look into the dark areas of life and um you know and it, that seems to have attracted me as long uh, alongside you know also a lot of playfulness as well um so yeah it's my music is it does span a wide range of 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 kind of experiences and feelings from you know, going and shining a light into darkness, but but tr trying to find, you know, the, trying to dance with the universe. That's what it's all about for me, really. Um, processes are, um, well, I, I'm, you know, quite a rigorous composer, some might say. Sorry, you can probably hear my cat. Um, I might have to let her out in a minute if she gets really noisy. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I I work because I I don't use the the, the Western tonal tradition. Um, I I invent my own sort of notes and rhythms and systems and how they work together. Um, I normally have to um, kind of start from scratch every time, and I have various techniques for creating rhythms and pitches. Um, but it always feels like you know. As a composer, we not only have we don't only have to climb the mountain, we also have to build the mountain first. So, so yeah, I spend quite a lot of time assembling um, the materials of what I'm going to work with, and that feels quite intellectual and quite it's it's um, kind of a lot of even though I'm not very good at math, it's a lot of math, mm. and. Because I, I I I think it's quite one of my one of my ways of doing things is to kind of play around with numbers and things in a in a very loose as I say playful way, but um, and also I use a lot of musical alphabets, uh, so I quite often put the names of people, friends, uh, loved ones, or whoever something a poem the piece might be about, 
Um, and I sort of put that into the kind of grid, uh, which, which tra tra sort of is, is translated through, through numerology into uh, pictures. So, so I start with, you know, kind of grids and, and, and ideas about systems. And then um, I start to sort of, it's like building, not, not a mountain as such, it's more like building a kind of, a, 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 let's say a Lamborghini, because that's cool. <laughs> so I try and build this this nice sporty machine that's going to take me on a journey um, but then when it's when it's kind of getting into shape um, I then try to turn the turn the ignition on and see what it's going to do and that's when I start to do this kind of dancing with the universe so that's when I sort of dance around it so I've got this this whole grid set up and it's quite complex and normally a lot of layers and then within that, I try and pull pull music out of it, quite literally. And at that point, um, the way of composing is purely feel and intuition. So it's, it's a big step from kind of logic and then totally intuition. But then throughout the piece, I'd probably go back and do a bit more building brick by brick and then having a look at it and see what it how it makes me feel. Wow, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I'm really impressed by uh, this uh, process. I think it's so amazing that we can actually ask you and know what uh, are your thoughts on on the compositions. Um, I think it's wonderful. Uh, one thing that I was talking to the girls when we were planning this um, is that how I felt a little bit outraged to the way we discovered uh, that we found you. So comparing to other composers that we have uh, on our classes since we uh, were very young and I feel I felt that we had we should have your music and also other um, amazing composers like you. On, in our education, in our school. Uh, so with that, I was wondering if you have um, any insights on how we could transform our um, education and also how we could um, glow more of these composers on our music schools and in the university curriculum. Mm. Wow, it's a really interesting question, and and um, not being someone who who has had much experience of um, institutions, although I do really enjoy teaching. Um, you know, I I, I can't give you um, a, a clear, clean answer on on how best to do that, but um, you know, more and more we're seeing the power of of young people's and students' voices. In, in instigating change and uh, initiating it. So I would say just just sort of talk to as many people as you can in, 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 in the music department um, about new music, uh, try and try and develop a, an awareness of it because um, there's so many great composers working to, today who are incredibly generous you know and they're you know they're really cool people mostly and really up for a chat because mostly they're on their own working away <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and you know one of the best things you could possibly do for any composer is perform their music mm. so, you know if you have a you know a, whatever trio quartet or whatever you might have and you're able to put on something um that way, you know, you get to know the music in a, in a very intimate way, and um, it's just great for for the whole ecosystem. I think because we need we need to hear everyone's stories. You know, we need as much variety as possible. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I love that answer. Maybe <laughs> we're picking new quartet music right now, so maybe we'll <laughs> add something. Is that straight? Yeah. yeah. Um, we're, we're all, me and Habeka are in a quartet together. <laughs> all right. So kind of building off of that question, we talk a lot in our podcast 
I mean, we find ourselves talking about the canon of musical composers all the time. Um, and I was kind of curious on your opinion, because also in the past, like in the Baroque era, people were constantly searching for a new music and it wasn't always looking towards the past. Um, and But today, like when I go to a concert by the Minnesota Orchestra or the BSO, usually Beethoven or like Brahms is the number one slot on the program and then new music is kind of like an add-on. So I'm wondering, do you have any thoughts on that? And if there might ever be a time when we get to a point where new music is the feature of the concert or, and also I'm curious if it's different in the UK as opposed to the US, I wasn't sure. Cause it seems like at least reading all the works you've done, you have a very strong connection uh, with all the major symphonies over there. So I'm, I've never seen a concert <laughs> in person by orchestras over there, but I'm just curious. Cause I think that would be Wonderful. I mean, I, I as much as I love a good Brahms symphony, I'd love to go see a concert full of new music and that might interest the public. It's great that you say that because I feel exactly the same. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of reasons why that isn't the case. But um, I have to say, my idea of the perfect concert would be an orchestral concert with all new music. Mm. And because, um, you know, orchestras are just so exciting. And to have a whole program of new music, it would just be heaven for me. Um, and, you know, they're, they're not, um, you know, common, but they do happen, concerts like that, uh, usually at festivals. So there's a festival called Tectonics um, over here. There's, um, you know, there's, there are festivals like the Warsaw Autumn Festival in Poland. Um, which would be all, all new music orchestral program. Um, uh, there's the Oslo Ultima Festival in Norway, which has would have an all new music program, which um, I was lucky enough to be featured in two years ago. And they, they actually played two of my pieces in one concert and then two other incredible pieces by very different composers. So, you know, that, that's that's my idea of heaven. But it doesn't happen very often. Um, I think, you know, because an orchestra is, is a very expensive entity mm. and um, the, 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 the funding structures are such that they are kept almost as museum pieces these days. Mm. But I would say at their peril because, you know, if they just hold, hold on to the past with such rigidity you know continue to do that they will die and um you know all through human history we've we've had to renew our um you know our, our forms of expression and that's why artists keep working and we learn from the past and we learn from the incredible music of the past but you know nothing nothing that humans can do is is about being uh, static we just have to keep moving with the times and um, keep responding and just keep reacting and communicating. And obviously mu music is one of the best ways to communicate. Mm. So um, it's it would be a great tragedy if orchestras were not able to keep up with the times. But I don't see that much change at the moment, especially right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of crazy because <laughs> I, I don't know I was we talked about that a lot in one of my history classes and I was wondering maybe if orchestras would do a little bit better if we kept pushing forward because maybe audiences are just getting a little bored it's funny about the thing of the programming um whether this the question of whether you know programming a Beethoven piano concerto and then a new piece actually works and I'm not sure it does, to be honest. I mean, I'm not saying there's any one way of doing things. Um, and I'm not saying that's not something I want to continue because of course mm -hmm. it's crucial that we do have that and mixed programs are good, especially if, you know, they're curated in a way that does create links between the new and the old. But um, as you say, I think there's a, there's a, there's a lot of, um, and a potential interest from from young people in pieces which 
in, in programs which are all new music. I think I think a lot of young people just won't resonate with music of the past. Excuse me, I'm gonna to have to move my camera. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, I think there's room for everything. Um, but the balance is so far in the wrong direction at the moment that um, what we could do is, is a, you know, a flood of pure, you know, brand new works in, in, in orchestral programs. I think that would be great. Yeah. Awesome. Me too. Yeah, <laughs> I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> Not least because some of the sounds that composers are dreaming up these days is, is so just wild and imaginative and makes the orchestra sound completely different yeah. to, as, as it has done in the past. And I think, you know, because of all the music that's that's happened over the last century and, you know, electronic music, whatever it is you're listening to, um, our ears are much more open and used to uh, color and texture and noise and, and things that, you know, we don't find in, in the classical canon. So I think people's young people's ears are more attuned to all those aspects. Mm -hmm. I was, I, I liked very much the idea of having uh, only uh, new music in a program. And I, I, I didn't think of having um, both like um, Brahms and uh, new music in the same program would be something um, different or yeah i would like to understand a little bit more about how do you uh how do you think about this difference it, the difference of you mean the, the mixed programming with the old piece and the new yeah. as opposed to all new um well as i say i don't want to i don't want to say it's a completely bad idea but it's been tried and tried and tried and tried and I don't see the audiences changing that much. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I say, in, if you're going to combine the old and the new, it, the curation needs to be needs to have a vision behind it. So whoever's designing that program needs to really feel why this piece should go with that piece. Um, but I do think you know the concerts I've been to, which are in festivals. Um, which are totally new music. There've been there've been a lot of young people there, and that's not to say I don't want old people at concerts because of course I do. <laughs> but we need to keep keep the whole um, culture alive mm. and, and bring all kinds of people into the into the listening space. Yeah. So we recently, my professor for music theory published an article with Slate about the idea of full naming composers, which he just describes as like, instead of, and I'm like super aware of this these days, cause I'll realize I'm saying like Rebecca Clark instead of like Clark or Clara Schumann instead of Schumann or even like Florence Price, I might call her Florence on accident. And then it's like, okay, but that's yeah. not the same way as I treat Bach or Beethoven. So what do we do about that? And this article resonated with me because he said, let's just full name everyone. <laughs> so. Uh, Ludwig Beethoven or um, Wolfgang Mozart and mm -hmm. Dmitry Shostakovich as opposed to giving them this like um, monolith I think that's the word for it when it's just Beethoven and that's all you need to mm -hmm. know them because mm -hmm. then it immediately treats differently like again Clara Schumann or Rebecca Clark mm -hmm. or Amy Beach um, so he suggests just full naming everyone uh, to equalize without being confused, of course, when you get Fanny Mendelssohn and Mendelssohn. Mm -hmm. yeah. Why is she Fanny Mendelssohn and he's just Mendelssohn? Mm -hmm. um, so I was wondering what's your opinion on this? Because it's definitely, it got a lot of like flack here in the US. Fox News published a, an article back saying that it was ridiculous, but I was just curious on your opinion as a current composer. I did see, um, it did flash up on my Twitter feed, I remember. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's different. We, I mean, we can't rewrite the past. Mm -hmm. and, 
and I think it would be a waste of energy to, to kind of start unpicking stuff. Mm. Uh, and I, I, I don't think there's ever one way of doing things. But now we, we live in uh, this wonderfully pluralistic world full of so much variety that I think it just makes practical sense if we, if we can play the whole name, because otherwise things do get confusing. Um, so, you know, and in some contexts, you know, it's, it's going to depend on that context. So um, I can't think of a situation where you'd have to say Ludwig, um, but, you know, there might be another Beethoven out there. You never know. Um, but I mean, I absolutely see why you might want to go and change all that. But um, I think there are more important things to be getting on with. And I think in terms of, you know, changing the past, don't worry about it. But from now on, we'll try and we'll try and give all the information we can. Mm. Because it just helps helps the music. And that's what we want. We just want to get the music out there and for people to know what they're listening to. You know. yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, it is definitely hard to stop saying uh, Brahms <laughs> to add his first name on <laughs> as a somebody in music <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you know my first name is quite unusual whereas my mm. surname isn't yeah um but um it would you know because that there, there there is a british composer called peter maxwell davies mm. um brilliant composer no longer with us but amazing and um you know that would that would be confusing just Davies, but it, and it's nice actually that we both have very um, memorable first parts of the name. So, yeah. yeah. Well, um, I was um, reading your website as we were getting ready for this interview, and there was one phrase that caught my attention. And, well, I'm just gonna read it. I'm a woman of fearsome drive and rigor and self-knowledge and that resonated uh, in me in a sense that I was looking every every time I see someone that I get inspired that is what I I, I think inspires me the most mm. uh, and I would like to ask you how did you get to this point of affirming this? For me, is something so, um, it's such a strong um, affirmation, so. Oh, that's beautiful, <laughs> thank you. Well, um, I was very lucky that this amazing woman called Kate Mollison wrote that introduction for me. So yeah. they are 100% her words. Um, and you know, it's a huge honor and I was very touched that she wrote that and I think she's, She's brilliant. She can she can see stuff. You know, she she knows things. So <laughs> I was very you know very happy to to accept that um, description. Um, but yeah, I think it's just spending a life a, a lifetime of of jumping in at almost any opportunity that comes along. I'm I normally you know say yes and then. See what the consequences are afterwards um yeah i mean i love an adventure so i've 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 led a rich and varied life um and i can't imagine a more exciting life than i've had um i mean i don't i do spend a lot of time alone but i enjoy that enjoy my own company um but the thrill of you know having my music performed through amazing people it's like it's like i make something like it like it's almost like a beam of energy and then it hits a musician and it's like a prism of light and it just goes out into the world oh, wow. so it's just such a huge honor to be part of that chain of events um and it's so beautiful um so you know i'm lucky that i've i've been able to spend my life mostly in music and i think that's a very very um as a composer it's a very introspective way to live uh, and it's very for me it has been incredibly healing so um i have worked through all kinds of 
you know, darkness and trauma that we all have at some level, um, you know, through music. And that has helped me immensely at the level of kind of self-understanding and self-care. And I really hope that that also, you know, has a kind of universal uh, resonance as well. That's, that's, that's what I hope when I'm writing music, which I think, you know, all music potentially has some kind of healing property, I think. Um, but, but some of my music um, has more of that. And it, that is the focus of it. Like, for example, my opera Between Worlds. Um, so, and, and through both of the operas, which are massive undertakings, any opera is a huge undertaking for a composer. And it is a, a sort of a, a journey of, um, a journey of the soul, really. Uh, I mean, every piece for me, all, virtually every piece, all the good ones anyway, have been, um, you know, really, really about going deep. It is about looking, looking within and asking myself, you know, honestly, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Who's it for? Um, what's the best possible way I can put something good into the world? And, and those questions are absolutely intermingled with my own sense of myself and how I can be the best person I can be as well. So it's the same thing. So I just hope that, as I say, the, the vehicle of music, and I've got enough, I hope that I have enough technique to make a good vehicle that communicates that kind of desire for clarity and uh, empathy and understanding and healing, that that can be, the music can be a vessel for those things and, and maybe other people can, can feel that too. And it's a kind of connection. I, I really like that you mentioned um, how um, you have this connection with uh, this spirituality and how you want to convey this all in your music. I think it's really beautiful. It is. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a very important part of what I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen in some of your interviews on YouTube how you're so connected with the nature and how you drive um, your source of inspiration from that and I think it's so beautiful because it's something that uh, we all have and it's so connected to human beings <laughs> absolutely and one of the things I feel um, I'm trying to do is is try to remember who we are trying you know as a collective species you know we, we we live this modern life which is disconnected from nature um that's not to say it's all bad there are wonderful things about modern life too but um we're out of balance with nature and we see that big time so um i'm fascinated by for example you know like i talked about the, the ancient myth earlier sort of ancient um, practices, um, like early forms of art, like cave art, um, anything which sort of connects us to the primal part of who we are. And um, because I think we've slightly forgotten that. Well, we, we have forgotten that. And that's why a lot of, I think, uh, indigenous cultures now are coming to the fore because they've got, they still got memory of a lot of the practical things that that we once had to help us through daily life and you know just simply being connected to you know the turning of the planets the moon the how that can affect you know things that we're doing like growing food and um and and the rising of and falling of of flood waters or rivers you know all these things we used to know like like now we we would know um, how to do a google search or something you know it's like <laughs> so um i think it's very grounding and and kind of purifying to try and try and recreate remember who who we are as as complete spiritual beings with kind of ancestral knowledge or, or some sort you know i think you know we're all connected and at, su at some level we're all indigenous we do mm. have roots in in <laughs> in areas of, of, of being which once understood the cycles of nature. And I'm really interested in, in shamanic practice from that respect because it's all, all it is is a kind of 
that that word is it, it's a kind of all-embracing word that means spirituality through the respect of, for nature really so that interests me a lot and um and music is you know one of those invisible forms of communication you know and um there were times when we you know we had more respect for the invisible and we kind of had more belief and um and and so on so i think music is one of the few remaining uh kind of portals we have to spirituality and uh, so it's very powerful mm. wow thank you so much yeah. it's really, <laughs> really touches my heart yeah i that was it really resonated with me as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so um i have one more question about your uh, challenges um as a, a woman composer this world of today and how do you see yourself and how do you fit in this world and how did these challenges also yeah so it's a really difficult question for me to answer but i i, li I like trying answer it. um uh so i'm sorry to put put you in this position no it's great i just lost you at the end of that but i hopefully i will answer correctly or interestingly or something um yeah so I guess um, I, you know, I'm fascinated by um, balance, the balance of, you know, the two sides within us, you, you could say the masculine and the feminine, or you could say yin and yang principles within us. And, um, and that doesn't have anything to do with gender, because we can all we can, I could be more masculine, and more feminine, I think we've all got, you know, um, and Uh, uncountable degrees of whatever and I think they move all the time and um, uh, I'm fascinated by um, using music as a kind of balancing tool and, and, and art as any kind of thing as a kind of way of balancing the masculine and the feminine all the yin and yang mm. um, and I have been lucky I think in many ways of my life to have felt completely comfortable with my kind of inner masculinity as well as my femininity or in fact more so with my inner masculinity i think uh especially when i was younger um so in that respect i never felt strange being you know one of the only women um doing things because i did a lot of things that only boys did like BMX biking and stuff like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, it never really occurred to me uh, at the time. You know, I never really looked around and felt where are all the other girls. Um, it would have been so nice if there had been a few more. And of course, there were some. Um, at the same time, I think the the cost of that was that I. Uh, it took me a while to, to kind of connect to my femininity. And I think that's kind of where the world is at now. So we're all trying to do that. And we need much more of that yin principle where we look inward and we, we just take time to stop and be rather than be more active, do things, but not necessarily having thought through those things before we do. It's just do, 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 do. It's not, it's not um, resting and reviewing um so yeah so but i feel i'm quite flexible in my feeling of where i am on that spectrum um and also very always been very comfortable you know in environments where there have been men around me so i'm an odd one maybe who knows i'm also quite competitive i think i you know i so You know, but we, we, we all change through through life. Um, so, but some of the music that I love is written by men, and some's written, obviously some's written by women. Um, but 
some of it, some of the music written by men, I find to be deeply feminine. So it's, it's fascinating, actually. Mm. You never know what's going to come out. <laughs> um, but in terms of where we are now, how do I feel as a woman? Um, the thing is, I guess I had to work super hard, probably harder than the guys. Mm. And I didn't have a very good education. It was terrible, to be honest. And I, I was not receptive to it either. So, um, so I kind of, uh, in some ways, I, but I kind of ripped up the rule book, I guess, and, and did my own thing. And along the way, there's been, I've had some incredible teachers who I'm very, very, very grateful for, kind people who have just been so generous. So, uh, yeah. So in the formal sense, you know, perhaps I didn't have that good an education. But um, nevertheless, I've I've had an amazing journey, and I'm so grateful for all of it. Um, right now, I think the as I said earlier, the more people we can invite to the table, the better. We need all these voices. Um, there was a time when the prejudice was such that you know certain certain things just would be written off i suppose in, in with women writing music and i can't really give an example but um if, if it was contradictory to what what the, the you know what was the accepted stuff in um in like let's say postmodern modernist music not postmodern but after the after the modernist period where there was some great works but there was also a lot of problems with how all that stuff was kind of put out there and, talk, and talked about. Um, after all that music from the kind of 50s and 60s, there was a bit of a gridlock. And I think women were not accepted unless you wrote in a certain way, perhaps. But I've always been brilliant at twisting the rules because that's what I do. So, you know, I, I'm a survivor <laughs> and, I, and I like to have fun and I've always had fun. So yeah, I'm pretty resilient. Um, but I think we've broken through that with the help of, you know, the kind of collective good people. Um, and I think a lot of the help that composers have had and, and need more of actually is from musicians to actually uh, play their work and um, say say interesting things about it you know and just put it out there because that that helps and, and the more awareness we have of contemporary music the bigger the platform and then the more people we can get in and hear their voices um and and through all of that through composers relentlessly kind of pushing through with uh, you know huge amounts of love and dedication to what they do we are now at a place where women are being listened to young women are being listened to and um, of course we need more of that but i'm i'm really thrilled by that because you know and i i've, I've got quite a few students um some women still mostly men but um what i do see is um much more confidence in the young women composing now which is beautiful yeah. i also see um amazing ideas i see women who are absolutely on a mission to connect the music with with life with their experiences not only personal but um you know on a universal scale and that's something i do see more with the women than the men at the moment obviously things can change at any time but um but with given that passion that i see um in the women we really need them at the table so um, yeah yeah i i'm I've been I think we all have been very excited recently about the um this movement of listening to female composers old and new um mm -hmm. and I we're seeing it more and it's something that I think we're all very excited about mm -hmm. um kind of a change of tune here um we wanted to know or for our listeners as well where they can find you what's coming up exciting are there new commissions for you happening um what are you currently working on uh, if you want to yeah. yeah I've 
I've been very lucky this year because uh, so far, um, most things have gone according to plan. Mm. Um, so it's been it's been really busy though. I've not stopped, and I'm still I'm still working flat out wow. until until December. So I'm lucky, if if exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I had some really nice things happen this autumn. I had a premiere of a string quartet um, by the Arditi string quartet. Um, and that premiere was in the Philharmonica in Berlin okay. and in, in uh, mid-October. And it was a piece oh. called Nightingale's Ultra Deep Field. Oh. And uh, that piece is about my experience of lockdown, which was incredibly um, inspiring, actually. I was oh. deep in the countryside and and uh, as we, as many of us were um, absorbed in the bird song, and started to hear nightingales everywhere. Wow! And then I was simultaneously had been kind of becoming obsessed by some of the um, Hubble images of deep deep time, where, where deep space where you actually see you can actually see time happening. Mm. And I, and then I just in my mind I put the two together, and I had this kind of dream of nightingales but the sound of it going back through the cosmos anyway that that's sort of premise behind the string quartet so so that was premiered um in berlin about one month ago and um soon to be broadcast i think um or the or the recording should be available at some point soon but the broadcast should be happening in um on the french on french radio on november the 16th I think uh, so that but that's um that's not confirmed but if it doesn't happen then surely the, the recording should be out there at some point soon and um within a week of that premiere I had another German premiere which was in a wonderful festival called Donauischingen and it's a song cycle which is on YouTube uh, might be a really nice one to put up because it's the most recent thing okay. um it's called The Rule is Love. Hmm. And it's a setting of, of it, it's two, two texts, actually, both set twice. Um, one, one of the texts is by Sylvia Winter, who is a writer. She's an old lady now. She's a writer of color on um, colonialism. And uh, she's just brilliant. She writes about creativity and, um, and um, She's just totally radical, mm. and and uh, so the title is, is from is from one of her texts, "Rule is Love," and the other is a is a very imaginative British writer called John Berger. So I set both of those. And that was beautiful. Um, in terms of performance, it was I was so happy. I had this wonderful singer called Elaine Michener, who you might have come across. She's done a lot of my work, mm. and um, so if you want to hear that recording. There's a YouTube link on the Donna Eschingen website, or I can send you the link if you need that. Yeah, send us anything. <laughs> yeah, I will. Um, so that was quite recent. And um, currently, I'm writing a horn trio, so horn, violin, and piano for a French group called Core Circuit and uh, Short Circuit. That means, and uh, that is due to be premiered. Um, on the 28th of January at a festival called Sound Scotland in Aberdeen. Wow. But uh, let's just hope it happens. I don't know if, if you know, because they're coming from France, whether they'll be able to travel and so on. So we'll right. see. Yeah. Wow, you're so busy. <laughs> That's so exciting. I, I, I really want to check out everything you just said. And I think we're all very excited because, you know, now we know you and I, yeah, I, I think we're excited to follow you. Um, so we always end um, our podcast episodes with asking each other, um, how was our tuning in the past week? Because we have a weekly episode and we always, uh, we like to think of tuning not as just intonation with our instruments, but also with our bodies, our mental health, our daily life. Um, so if it's okay with you, could we ask you, um, how your tuning was this past week? <laughs> That's a really wonderful question. <laughs> just like my tuning in general to the yeah. universe. Well, my goodness, that's what I'm trying to do all the time, of course. When I'm <laughs> like an aerial waiting. But, 
inspiration. Um, it's been up and down. Um, I I did have a major breakthrough about two days ago when I was I was I got to a kind of important decision making point in the trio and um, and I had some perfectly good material like lots of potential perfectly good material and I would I kept pushing pushing it and going come on because I've got this deadline really soon I'm thinking it's just do it just do this and there's something in me that can't do it unless it's truly the right thing mm. so in that respect I started to tune in and I realized I just had to get rid of anything that wasn't really exciting me and I suppose making me vibrate with the right vibe for it the right feeling but, um, you know I was quite ruthless and I thought okay well the clock is ticking but I just can't let this go so I I just cut it out and immediately the right thing came came in so uh, I would say down and then up mm. good yeah I think all of our weeks are also a little down and then up as well <laughs> it's definitely really up now that we're we're recording this podcast yeah. from you this is a <laughs> extreme high of our tuning <laughs> um well yeah that brings us to the end of our uh, um, our episode thank you so much for for taking the time and and speaking with us yeah thank you a lot yeah, yeah thank great. you so much it was definitely a great experience i would take it with me in my heart yes <laughs> yeah um and to our listeners Thank you so much uh, for listening and be sure to tune in every Saturday for a new episode. And this has been Out, Out of, of Two. two. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. <laughs>